All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a while since Canada has had an interview, but I want to welcome to the show Jennifer Malloy to Canada's Pinball Podcast. Jennifer, welcome. Hello. Hi, thanks. Now, people might be wondering, who is Jennifer? Because you are not a name that comes up in the pinball world. Jennifer, what's your connection to pinball? I worked at Deep Root in 2019. I was one of the technical writers there. Okay, so this is obviously one of the most interesting, one of the most dramatic pinball companies of all time. Let's let's just talk about it. I really want to hear your story because we've been waiting to talk to people who have actually been behind the doors at Deep Root. Where should we start? Let's just start by how did you even become aware of Deep Root? Yeah, so there was an Indeed job listing. I'm in San Antonio and there was a listing for a technical writer. So I went in and interviewed. And at the time, I interviewed with Robert and one of the heads of engineering. And it was what seemed to be a very tiny place, just, you know, a handful of employees working on pinball funded by the investment division. I believed it was very small when I first interviewed there. Then, of course, things take a while. I had to put a notice and everything to my old job. So it was several weeks, maybe even could have even been a couple months until I actually started working there in January of 2019. Then once I got there, there were way more employees than I had anticipated or really been led to believe. So it was it was a surprise to me at the time how big it was but even back then. First of all, what's a technical writer for, for a listener of the show? Yeah, so the technical writer would put together all of the manuals for pinball, anything like instructions, any sort of um, signage for the building on dangerous conditions, anything like that. So I was hired to do all of the instruction manuals for pinball. And then I also have a pretty strong legal financial background. So I also would be working on some of the investment materials and literature. Okay. Now, how did Robert sell the company to you when you were interviewing there? What was it like? What was his sort of, you really got to join this team? He he didn't do any sort of hard sell whatsoever. He just went through what Deep Root does in terms of the investments. And then he said that Pinball was going through a big resurgence and becoming very popular again. And therefore, we were going to start up a new arm of the company that was making pinball machines. So he just went through what currently Deep Root did and what the plan was to make pinball machines. And I'm not from the pinball industry, not very familiar with pinball. So I wasn't, it's not like I would know whether it was becoming really popular. You know, I didn't really know much about pinball at the time at all. And you said when you interviewed, there weren't that many people there. And then when you went through the door, there were more people. Was this in Texas? Is that where you were interviewing? Yep, San Antonio. So it's the the big facility. It was an extremely large facility. And yes, I remember being prized and puzzled at the number of employees when I first started working there, just because then I wondered how how could he afford to have all these people, this facility, et cetera. It was puzzling. And we're going to talk about all of this. So how many people roughly were there there when you started? You said you were surprised by how many people were there, like headcount roughly. I think it was between 40 and 50. And this is 2019. And so you walk through the door, technical writer. What did he have you work on first? Like what kinds of projects were you doing? Because was it pinball? Was it employee manual? What what kind of stuff were you working on? 
So I did the deep root employee manual was one thing. A lot of what I did was just taking stuff that they had around from, you know, like bits and pieces of things and trying to read up on things and get prepared for when we would put out the pinball machines and I would need to do the instructions. So um, there were actually two technical writers. He hired somebody else at the same time too. So she and I worked together to come up with some plans for things, you know, for manuals and looked at other companies' manuals to do research on what would be good and what wouldn't, things like that. And then the first thing I did that was a large actually produced item was the employee manual for Deep Root overall. Now, we've seen it. Were there any weird, quirky things Robert wanted included in that manual? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, like... I mean, half of the manual, I would argue, was that. I mean, it was it was funny. I would go home for the night, and I came back to the office in the morning. There would be sections added that really, I mean, I did laugh out loud at a lot of them. Like, there was a page and a half of toilet rules, I believe it was, of, you know, what you could and couldn't do in the bathroom, that you must use the poopery spray, <laughs> you know, things like that. And that was all Robert. And then there was a big list of things to do like in the kitchen for eating and you were prohibited from shoving your hand into somebody else's food, which I mean, I don't think that's generally a large problem (laughs) with most people. But yeah, no, he he was very specific about many, many things in there. And it was really funny. When you came in the next day and you see these sort of inane adjustments to the manual did you start to get a little bit worried about is everything okay here or what what was like (laughs) like what was it like when you saw those inclusions no i i mean they made me laugh i thought they were funny but i'm like whatever you know if this is something that's important to him it's his company i find it a little odd but you know whatever sure okay right right and and robert always had a a reputation for being very litigious now joining the company was there a lot of sort of putting the fear of god and people joining that what we're working on is super secretive and and what was he like when it came to that yes so that was actually something that was worrisome. So when I first got in there, I had quit my old job, which I mean, I was fine because I didn't enjoy that job. I wanted to get out. However, then I got into Deep Root and we were not told at the time that we would be signing this monstrous, basically, employment contract that prohibited us from everything. So it was written so broadly that we could not get basically any other job after leaving Deep Root. And, you know, it was it was to the point where he was prohibiting us from things that would really be necessary just for life. So I was really worried about it. But, you know, I'm not an attorney, but in my limited knowledge of the law, I know that the courts won't allow somebody to do something so broad that it's impractical. So I figured at this point, I, you know, I'd already given up my old job. By this point, you're kind of screwed. What do you do? So I signed it and took a copy and just figured, well, he probably can't enforce a lot of these problematic areas anyway, because who's going to say I can't work again? Or, you know, like a court's not going to agree on that. So I just signed it and hoped I was right with my worries on that. But yes, it was 
very long, very broad, and very scary. Yeah, and, and Jennifer, when you were applying for Deep Root, did you ever Google Robert Mueller, Deep Root? Did you do any background check on, on who you were joining? I don't recall if I Googled him. I had looked up things on Deep Root. I always do before I interview or take a job. There was very limited information available. I came across, you know, a couple pinball articles, a couple things about Zidware and Deep Root taking over some of those items, but there wasn't much available. So yeah, I did Google some things and I didn't find much of anything, you know, negative or positive. So you, you get in there, you're working on the employee manual. Robert adds some crazy items about potpourri and, and other uh, don't <laughs> shove your hand in people's lunches. Uh -huh. um, you complete it. What's next? Like, what, what did he have you working on knowing that you were going to put together these manuals for these pinball machines? Obviously, we know now that those machines didn't come to completion. Were you working on manuals for some of the games? No. Uh, basically, we never got that far. So we just, when we had time, we weren't doing things. We all just, I think, you know, tried to figure out our own things to do. So I would research other companies on pinball stuff. I would put together recommendations for our website navigation once we got a website ready. You know, I would just do things to kind of prepare for what I thought was coming later when I didn't have anything to do, which to be honest was, you know, pretty frequent. Now, Jennifer, you, you've you walked through the doors of Deep Root, which is something that most of us have only been able to speculate what it was like. What was it like? Was there a lot of work going on with these 50 plus people? Did it feel like there was stuff happening or, or was it obvious that not a lot of momentum was occurring? I feel like the people really tried to get a lot going, like the engineer staff and, and everybody there really, really did honestly try to make these machines and, and tried to put features in and test things. And so I think, I think the employees really made a good effort and were trying. I think there was probably a lack of knowledge, you know, uh, going into it as to people who didn't know pinball itself before. And also there was a lot of change in direction from Robert a lot of times when, when the engineers would have something going and then he would say, oh no, we should do this instead. And then that was an upheaval and a, and a stop to whatever progress could have been made or had been made to that point. So, you know, in the facility, the employees were all super nice. It was a very nice environment. That was, that was one thing that I was bummed about when I had to leave later. Like it was, it was very nice environment. The people were so nice. It was a very pleasant place to be, you know, which was, which is nice. I can't always say that about everybody. So the culture was positive, a lot of positive mm -hmm. energy trying to get these machines made. And it seems like, and we've heard reports that, that there was just a lot of projects going on and Robert was micromanaging a lot of it, right? Do you think they just yeah. were trying to do too much at once, building 10 machines a year if they just focused on one? Was there ever any discussion, let's just get this one machine done and then get on to the second? Yes, that was an actual decision. When I was still there in 2019, um, one of the heads of engineering had a meeting and told us it was in April when all of the pay problems first happened, when we first missed the pay. He said, here's what we're doing. We are scrapping a lot of the extra features we'd talked about. We're just going to 
make a regular pinball machine out of Raza. We're going to get that out so we can get income coming in. So that, that was the plan when I left and I don't know how then it turned into, oh no, we're again going to go after 10 or 12 machines. I don't know what happened, but yes, that was the plan laid out to all of us in April, 2019 of one machine, do it basic, get it done and then move on and do other things that as they occur to us later. The extra features, uh, do you know what those were? Was it the pin bar? Was it other stuff they were planning? Yes, I mean, there was a whole bunch of them. The pin bar was one. There was something about lifting the play field for repairs kind of thing. They had a lot of plans that they hoped would make it just easier to assemble the machines for, you know, somebody who's not extremely strong or, you know, a smaller person. So there were a lot of ideas like that. I don't know how far many of them got, but we were told that they were going to put, you know, any of those on hold to just make a working machine. Right. Yeah, we saw some of that stuff. There was an auto leveler. There's the rotisserie so you could take the play field out. A lot of solving problems that weren't really problems. I think that was one of the the mistakes. Sure. Mm -hmm. Were you there when they finally got the Raza to, I believe it was the Houston show, and they brought it out into the public? Were you around when that happened? I was not. I think that was, I think that was probably summer 2019. And I left uh, at the end of April 2019. So I was not there for the Houston show. How long were you at Deep Root in total? Um, I was there from the beginning of the year, January 19, until technically I was there through the first week of May. But really, we had that week off because of all the problems with pay. So really until the end of April. Let's talk about that. So there were always rumors and speculation that employees were going without pay. What was that like? Like when that first hit that you had it yeah. happen, you got a notice that pay wasn't going to occur. What? How did he communicate that? That one, you know, was a nasty surprise, obviously. So it was, um, we were supposed to get paid April 1, which of course is April Fool's Day. So there was speculation of, is this a joke? Which it was not, unfortunately. So April 1 must have been a Monday and we got paid twice a month, like mid-month and first of the month. So I believe April 1 must have been a Monday because we all came in and saw a Slack message that Robert posted over the weekend. I believe it was like the day before. And he probably did that because he didn't want to seem like an April Fool's joke that he wasn't paying us. It's all I can figure because it wasn't normal for him to post, you know, like the day before on a Sunday or something. So he just posted that there was a delay in pay. I believe he said, I'd have to go back and look exactly. I believe he said that the investment cases he expected hadn't come in on time. So I believe that was the first excuse he gave just that, oh, things are a little delayed. But I mean, in the facility, the employees, I don't think any of us, perhaps one or two believed that, oh, yeah, there's a little delay. No, like, if you don't have money to pay us, that means that there was no money, like, you know, (laughs) whether you got these or not, like, this is a big problem, we're out of money, like, we all recognize that. And we all were very alarmed and worried because many of us had just quit other jobs to begin there or some people had children they had to feed and might get evicted shortly i mean there you know it was a it was a big big problem and people recognized it and 
nobody made little of it, that's for sure. How many times did he miss pay? It was kind of back and forth. I don't even know how to answer that question, to be honest. So we were supposed to get paid April 1, and every once or twice a week, he would post a new message with a new excuse as to what was going on and a new reason why we weren't getting paid. Then he would promise a partial payment. So we did get a partial payment several weeks later. And then that's when I I had immediately, when he missed pay, spent that day updating my resume and applying for jobs because I saw the writing on the wall. If you don't have money, this is a big issue, you know? Right. So I got something else, luckily, right away. And then I left at the end of April. I believe it was still a few weeks after that. And then he was making partial payments. My understanding is that he made a couple partial payments here and there. And then I think he did get caught up at one point, but then it again lapsed. I believe somebody said that at one point he was four months behind pay at well after I was gone. So I don't know 100% since I wasn't there at that point, but it was a back and forth scenario, usually way behind. You never knew what you were going to get when for years is my understanding. And Jennifer, when you were there, what was there a discussion amongst the employees? Where's the money coming from? We know we're not shipping any games. What, what was it like trying to figure out how this whole thing was being financed? Yeah, I mean, there were a few of us that had questions. I assume most people probably had questions, but there were a lot of people that were convinced Robert listened to us on the cameras and stuff. So there were some people who were just unwilling to talk about anything or any questions they had. So I talked to a few people. I know, you know, I had questions from day one. Once I got in there and saw the number of people and everything like that, I immediately wondered how could this be funded? How how could this be? I know there were a few others that had the same thought. I had spoken to them about it. We all had different theories. We had no idea which, you know, which theory might be right, if any of them. So yes, there were definitely employees who wondered where could this money be coming from and were very puzzled by it as I was. And looking back on it now, with the SEC filing and and a lot of the mystery being uncovered, right? The 57 Mm -hmm. to $61 million from other investments being funneled into it. Did that align with what you thought that he was doing something fraudulent to keep this whole thing going? Yes. Yes. I assumed there must've been some sort of scam going on. I had suggested to one of my friends that a Ponzi scheme might have been a possibility. I am surprised still as to that he got that much in investment money because it was a pretty small investment firm, you know? So that is quite a bit more money than I ever would have expected that firm to take in in any manner. But uh, yeah, that was... That was one of the possibilities I had floated by one of the other employees was. Now we're, we're learning, you know, some people lost their life savings investing in Robert. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like all the employees there just have you talked to any of them now? Do they feel sort of bummed out that they know now where their salary money was coming from? The only ones I talk to are ones 
like me who were not there for years and years. I don't know if any, I'm, I'm assuming, sure, I bet they feel horrible that they were any part of it. They weren't knowingly any part of it. You know, we all certainly feel very bad for the people and wish that we had not had any part of it, even unknowingly. You wisely saw the writing on the wall. You, you saw the yeah. missed paychecks and you knew if money's an issue now, this is not looking good. And, and you got out. Did yeah, you leave exactly. people behind that were still confident they could turn it around? Yes, there were some people who just thought there was one person I can think of who no matter what anybody would ever say about Robert or Deep Root, that person would never believe it and would follow Robert anywhere, you know, so. Was that John Papaduke? No, no. I mean, I met John, but I didn't really know him that well. Yeah. What was it like meeting J-Pop? Because he's always been sort of the center of all of this. Yeah. So my impression is different than other people. So I know some people think that Robert, you know, idolized him and all these things. That wasn't at all what I got as an employee. It it may be true, but it wasn't what I saw firsthand. Firsthand, what I saw was, you know, John just came into the office. He didn't live here when I worked there. So he just traveled in here sometimes um, from what I saw. He came in same as any other employee. He was not treated any different. Robert did not pay him any different attention at all from what I saw. So I never saw anything to indicate that he had any more influence than anybody else or that he was very important to Robert. I never saw any of that. What was John like? I mean, he was very nice to me. I, I just met him you know, briefly in passing. I spoke to him a few times here and there. He, just like everybody at Deep Root, was very nice, you know, friendly. He didn't act any different than anybody else. Did anyone ever have any meltdowns? You ever, did anyone like, ah, oh, you know, no pay, I'm out of here. Did anyone ever like rage quit the place? Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think anybody rage quit because I think most of the people there, you know, I, like I said, like it was a, it was a great environment and the people were very nice. They were also, I think overall quite reasonable. And I don't think we really had a lot of people that would be like that. But there were there were a pretty there were some pretty funny situations with the pay. For example, we were told at one point that we could take time off and not worry about putting in any vacation time due to the situation. So we all took that to mean different things. I took it to mean say we had a second job and we wanted to go and work for pay to cover our bills, we could do that and Deep Root would be fine with it. So I did that and I just didn't show up sometimes because I was working, delivering for Amazon or doing my other pet sitting job. <laughs> then somebody else, actually multiple people, took that to mean that they could just call in sick. So they would call in sick for an entire week or two weeks at a time, <laughs> which was hilarious. <laughs> then um, there was a dude who posted to Slack every day with like a different excuse of why he wouldn't be in. And then at one of the times he said that the, that he got pulled over and the cops impounded his car, which I mean, yeah, I can see what he's saying. Like I can't pay to get it out cause you're not paying me. So you're not going to see me for a long time. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, people had a lot of different reactions and it was actually, I mean, like the situation wasn't funny, but those things were, yeah, there was a lot of funny things in reaction. So we've seen recently, Jennifer, the the auction, right? This this 
whole thing collapsed. Eventually, Robert yes. couldn't keep it afloat. Were, were you aware of the auction? Yes, I actually did go for the inspection day. My curiosity couldn't resist going for the inspection day. And what did you see when you went through the door? Um, to be honest, I understood how all of this money, like kind of where it was squandered to this point, because I, you know, $60 million, even with how that place was, that's still a monstrous amount of money to be gone. But now that I was back in there and saw all the equipment, I mean, these, these pieces of equipment, some were as big as, as a house, you know, which of course these giant industrial pieces of equipment would be millions and millions of dollars just by themselves. So after I saw all that, I thought, oh, well, yeah, okay, I guess I guess I can see it now. Was there someone in charge of manufacturing? Was there a head of manufacturing that Robert believed in could turn this design studio into an actual pinball manufacturing company? Not to my knowledge. When I was there, we had two heads of engineering but I, I, at least to my knowledge, there was not a head of manufacturing. There definitely was not discussion of it while I was there. And I did not hear of them hiring somebody like that. Perhaps somebody later could, would have better information. Did you ever get a chance to play any of the deep root pinball machines when you were there? No, we had a number of other machines in the lunchroom break room that we all played regularly but there were never any deep root machines there. And while I was there, I think the only person who ever did anything with them in terms of playing them or, you know, messing around with them was Steve Bowden. He's the only person I knew who ever played them. Was lunch free? Oh, no, we no, we, I brought my own lunch. They didn't provide it. So you, you walk through the door, you see all the big equipment. Were, was it sad to sort of do a, a lap around that place knowing everything you know now? Yeah, definitely. It was sad. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, now I know that a lot of people have some, you know, great financial hardship from this, which is very sad. And the employees at the time, like I said, were, you know, very nice people. And they were always so pleasant. And it was such a nice place with all the people there. So that's sad, too, you know, that we all had a great environment. We tried to do our best. We all tried to make things nice for everybody. So yeah, it was definitely sad. Do you think Robert was delusional in his efforts? I mean, I have to assume yes. <laughs> I just, because it seems like from the little I know about pinball, like I said, I was not an industry person ahead of time. But what I've gathered now is that other places that do this just are very small at the beginning and make a machine and see how it goes, you know, like spooky. And so, yes, I, I think he must have been, I don't know, fooling himself and trying to fool everybody into, into thinking that he, he was going to be the head of this giant pinball company, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I would assume there must have been some delusions there, yeah. When you left Jennifer, did he, did he say anything to you? Did he warn you? What was it like on the way out? I had consulted an employment attorney to get some advice on what to do. I had thought maybe I would take a leave of absence and work somewhere else for a while and see what happened with Deep Root. And the attorney told me, no, I needed to make myself a terminated employee because terminated employees have greater rights to their pay. So he advised me what to do. He told me to send a letter in writing 
detailing that, you know, I resign as of this date and in my employment contract or somewhere like that, we were told that we had to, you know, give back the access. There's a little access key to the building, give that back and stuff. So I included it in the envelope and then HR sent me by email some documents. And yeah, they were, I mean, they were unnecessarily strongly worded, I would say. They banned me from the premises and also from the Utah Studios premises. And if I showed up at the premises, they would call law enforcement, I believe. It was very threatening and rude and kind of embarrassing because I, you know, I was leaving because I wasn't getting paid. I feel like my reason was really quite understandable and I'd never done anything to indicate that they had to worry about me. And I know the other employees who quit around the same time got the same treatment. It wasn't just me, but all of us were very reasonable people. None of us would have been somebody that was going to do something there. This paranoia of Robert seems to be a, a, a theme that and he treated you like you were defecting nuclear scientists yeah. who couldn't be allowed anywhere near the facilities or, or there could be consequences. And it was just pinball. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think he's he's built up so much animosity with the pinball community. It's, it's a toy in a box of wood with sure. lights and people were litigiously threatened, not just mm -hmm. there, but I was threatened by him. Other people were threatened by him. Um, so mm -hmm. it's nice to finally talk to people. Because, are you afraid at all now? I mean, I, I'm always curious because I still think some people are still nervous that Robert, you know, will somehow yeah. rebound from this and come after us. Uh, definitely, I know that some of my former co-workers are still scared of Robert. And I think it's more just scared because he's constantly threatening to sue you. And I think it's just if he follows through, they don't want to deal with all of the headaches from it, which I understand. Um, I am not scared of him. I would say there may be a couple of his cronies that I would understand being scared of. Some of these people who might defend him to the death kind of thing so there could still be irritations from some of those people i'm sure but no i think he's probably got way bigger fish to fry than me at this point yeah and i'm not even sure he has any cronies left so the sec suit do you, do you hope robert does some jail time what do you think his punishment should be for this oh man i don't know i mean i'm yeah i mean i yes i think sure he should do time of whatever somebody else who does that sort of crime does you know like yeah i if i had lost any money in it i of course would wish for the biggest punishment i think ideally what would have been best i think is if he could have done something to make amends financially to those people who lost all their money but I, how are you going to get back 60 million dollars you're not you know so he needs to get whatever should happen to anybody who does these sorts of things. But if if I were one of the investors, I, I'm sure I would much rather get my money back. And unfortunately, that seems impossible. Yeah, it's not going to happen. And when we saw the no. auction and we saw what stuff was going for, I mean, it was pennies to the dollar. And I mean, how do you sure. even put a price on a, a Raza prototype that costs $10 million to get to this point and mm -hmm. it doesn't even function? Do you think this should be it? Because there are still people in the pinball community that are sort of insinuating that maybe we should sort of get the IP to Raza and make it work. Do you think it should just <laughs> all die once and for all? I mean, yes, I would think so. 
if anybody could actually get it something to work and then give some of that money back to the investors who lost their money, then I would say at least that would be something good coming of it. But having not been in the industry before, I had not known about the kind of history of pinball scams. So I only found out about this after all of the deep root stuff. So somebody in the industry is much more qualified to answer what should happen and and anything on the history than I am. Now, Jennifer, do you um do you play pinball now? Did it awaken you to the pinball bug at all, or you you're just okay with, without it? I mean, I like pinball, but I I wouldn't buy a machine that expensive myself because I wouldn't use it enough to be worthwhile. If I like, if I'm in Vegas, I go to the pinball hall of fame and bring my roller quarters and and play um, some of the other games and stuff. So I do like it. It's not one of my big life hobbies, I would say. We didn't even talk yet about the Utah studio, right? So they're doing all the software and animations. What was it like? Like, how, how was it having these two studios? Everyone's working on something. And yet after all this time, there's not even a single working game. Yeah. So the Utah studio was extremely confusing to me. And I know many of the other employees. So we're working on these, you know, supposedly pinball machines. And then Robert talks about how, oh, we're going to set up this studio because then we want to get like, you know, TV stuff going, movies. And it was like, what? Like, you know, it was very puzzling. And of course, again, you wonder where is this money coming from? Because he was hiring people away from like Pixar and you know, like big names was my understanding in animation. I mean, many of us talked about like, what in the world is going on here? How, how is this happening financially? And why? Like, what does this have to do with anything? Were we just doing everything now? You know? Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, it was the employees in San Antonio. I know many of us were very puzzled and confused. And I don't know what they were told when they were hired into Utah. I know that I think they were told that it was, oh, we're setting up this major new studio. It's going to be huge. But I don't know what they were told about the pinball side or any of the other businesses. So I don't know. I I would assume that once they got in, they probably were also confused. But I'm not sure because we didn't really see them and they didn't see us. You know, it was very rare that, that anybody from either office went to the other. So I think only one time I knew of that people from Utah were in town here in San Antonio. So there really wasn't much chance for us to talk or, you know, compare notes. How has life after Deep Root been for you? <laughs> Actually, it's good. I got I got a job that, you know, paid very well right away and and it was and it's a great job and I have great coworkers. So it's it's really good. I do still miss all the people at Deep Root because it was a very nice environment, but I mean, I was lucky. I moved on right away, got something right away, and I got myself a good gig, so no complaints from me. That's good to hear. I mean, it sounds like it was a fun place to work, a fun place to hang out, and it just happened to be funded by people who thought they were investing in something else. Yes, right, right. Jennifer, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I mean, this is um, this has been something I've always wanted to do is just talk to someone who went behind the door at Deep Root and just get a sense of, of what it was like. It sounds like it was enjoyable. It was a cluster at the top and people were trying <laughs> to make something they had no idea how to make it. 
And so no matter mm -hmm. how much money you have, if you don't know how to do something, money can't fix that problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good sum up, I'd say. Thank you so much. And I appreciate yeah, the you. time. And, and we'll definitely stay in contact because uh, I don't okay. think this is over yet. I, I think there's going to be... No, not by a long shot. Yeah, there's going to be more SEC stuff. There's going to be a day in which Robert will have to face the music and we'll know what his ultimate punishment is. Are you looking forward to that day to see what exactly his... Uh, his punishment is? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I've been following for years on Pinside just trying to see if anything happened because I fully expected that one day I would get the answer to what was going on over there. So now I at least <laughs> I did get that answer. Right. And so, oh, yeah, I'm I'm following to see what happens for sure. Do you think this would make a good documentary? Yeah, no doubt. The pinball Ponzi scheme. Yeah. And he might have provided a lot of good footage with when he had visitors in and talked about the machines and all. I saved all of those videos in 4K because I knew one day people won't mm -hmm. believe what a pin pod <laughs> is. And the way he, mm -hmm. his videos were just cringeworthy. And there's those moments where he's sort of staring at this, the camera a little too long after each statement. And you realize he just thought he was like Walt Disney in his own head. He thought he was like his own yeah. Steve Jobs. And he just couldn't realize that he's not. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is correct. <laughs> well, Jennifer, thank you so much. And we're having this conversation ironically on April Fool's Day. So I think it's right. fitting that it is April 1st it as is. we record this. It is the anniversary of the first issue at Deep Root. Yep, agreed. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you very much.